You can turn in your Bible to John 13. We'll look at verses 31 through 38 this morning. Text is in the bulletin also for you. Um, so one of my very favorite movies is a 2014 Irish film called Calvary. Uh, I've probably watched it with Sam a few times. Uh, it's rated R for several reasons, in case that helps you to determine whether or not I am enthusiastically recommending that all of you watch it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Father James, he's the central figure in the movie Calvary. He's a small-town priest. He receives a death threat. There's a man in his parish who, uh, on a Sunday, comes in to the confessional, steps in and sits down next to him and uh, tells Father James that he's going to kill him in a week. Father James knows who this is. Small town, small parish, small congregation. He recognizes the voice. Um, but this guy tells him that he's going to kill him in a week. This man was abused by a priest growing up as a child and was planning to kill Father James, not because Father James was a bad priest who deserved it, but because Father James was a good priest. And that would really mean something, killing a good priest. <clears throat> and so the body of the film follows Father James through his week. As you can imagine, it would be a deeply uh, troubling and difficult week to get through. He's conflicted about how to respond to this death threat, how to continue to live and serve his little parish community faithfully. He's by no means a perfect man, but overall his life um, looks very much like the life of Jesus Christ. He's tender-hearted. He opens his life up to others honestly. He confronts people in their self-deception, uh, but not just because he's a jerk. He does it for their own good. He helps and comforts and cares for those who are suffering and grieving. And in the end, he goes to face his murderer courageously, ultimately with concern for the well-being of even this man. That's why he goes and meets him. And, uh, and the final note of the film is one of deeply moving forgiveness. The image of the cross is prominent in the film. I mean, the film's called Calvary for a reason. The crucifix is uh, <clears throat> it's the only decoration hanging on Father James' wall. It's pretty prominent there in his little priest cell. And, but more than that, Father James' life is an image of the cross. It's his whole life. It's what he does with his life. And it's stark and it's severe, but it's glorious. And it's glorious because it reflects Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of glory. His life and love give meaning to the word glory. And, uh, and that is something that the world cannot deny. So let's talk about his glory and his love and how we can reflect his love in, the, in this world. That's what we'll talk about this morning. Let me pray and then we'll read the scripture. <clears throat> Father, we pray that as we hear your word, it would not fall upon deaf ears, that it would not encounter hardened hearts or resistant minds, but that you, by your Holy Spirit, would 
actually overcome all our defenses. Grant us faith in your word. Grant us the response of faith, one that uh, would submit ourselves to Jesus because he is good and he is true and he is beautiful. And we see him here and we hear him now. We pray that you would help us as we consider your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when Judas had gone out, remember this is the upper room with his disciples, Judas, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say also to you, where I am going you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So this is the beginning of Jesus teaching his disciples in the upper room, which we'll cover as we look at the next several chapters in John's gospel, uh, before heading out in the night to the garden to his appointment with his betrayer, to face his betrayer. Our passage here is actually a little bit of a precy to the upper room discourse. It's a summary. We're getting an introduction to the major themes that Jesus is going to be talking about for the next four chapters. Uh, The setting is dire. Events are in motion, his time is up, and Jesus speaks of glory. Now is the Son of Man glorified, he says. The Son of Man is Jesus' favorite title for himself through the Gospels. And there's some mystery associated with that, maybe a bit of intrigue. Why use that title for himself so frequently? really seem to like it. Using that title, among other things, is sort of a way of hiding in plain sight. One could hear in it the echoes of Old Testament prophecy foretelling the Messiah, like Daniel chapter 7, one like a son of man coming with the clouds, coming into his kingdom. Um, Or one could hear in it something like generic human being. It's just the son of man, just a guy. In fact, it's the interplay of the two meanings in Jesus that's so intriguing. He is the special unique Messiah, and we're talking about generic sort of humanity, he came to initiate a whole new kind of humanity with himself as its representative. This new humanity would be refashioned in his likeness and patterned after him, be his own body, corporate. And there is mutual glorification that takes place between God, the Father, and this Son of Man, Jesus, that we're seeing in this passage. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, 
God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. In John's Gospel, we've already heard Jesus talking about glory a little bit. And he really gets into it later in John 17 in his prayer. We'll talk about that more later. But when he's, he's talking about being glorified at once, he's saying these things are imminent. And he's talking about his crucifixion and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. These things are imminent. In John's gospel, especially, the, the hour of Jesus' death is the hour of his glory, the hour of the crucifixion that this gospel is marching toward. Because his death is the truest revelation of the sacrificial love of God. If you want to see God in all of his glory, you just have to look at Jesus on the cross. For love's sake, Jesus went out of the city, out of Jerusalem, bearing his own cross, went to the wilderness, to the outer darkness of death, not just outside the city gates, but the real outer darkness, abandoned and separated and cut off from the land of the living. And his sacrificial love in doing that, because he was willing, because he's the one who laid down his life for others, his sacrificial love is seen by God as worthy of resurrection and reward. So God raised him from the dead and received him into glory, eternal glory at his right hand. Jesus' love glorified God, so God glorified him through the cross, through his resurrection, through his ascension into heaven. And so Jesus says in in verse 33, little children, this is a term term of endearment that Jesus would use of those who um, belong to him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. So the death that he faced, death on a cross, and that's a pretty common form. It's all too common uh, in, in ancient times there. Uh, common as a form of death, unfortunately. But, but his particular death was not common. His particular death was unique and unrepeatable because of who he is. He's the God-man, and he gave up his life for his people to love them, to atone for them, to take the death that they deserve, to bring them into the life of God and to change them forever. That's, that's unique. That's special. That's particular. His death is not like any other common death. And Jesus went to this singular death, this ultimate death. He went in order to spare us from going to our ultimate deaths. So he isn't just saying... You can't tag along with me and join me on the cross. There's plenty of crosses out there. There's plenty of deaths. He's saying that where he's going, it's impossible for us to go because of the uniqueness of his death, because of who he is and what he's doing and what it all means. His death would mean the glory of God because his death is the ultimate self-gift. He's the only human being who's giving himself this utterly to God and to others. It's his ultimate obedience to God. It's the death that no one else in history ever would die, ever could die. It's the climax of divine love. So we usually think of death, rightly, as horrendous and ignoble. But his death would mean the mutual glorification of God and the Son of Man. The Son of Man. So the Son of Man is most glorious when he lays down his own life 
to give life to his people. The Son of Man, that unique individual who is also the representative of a new humanity being remade in his own image. God is glorified in him, and he is glorified in God through suffering love, through Calvary love. What do you think that means for those who are incorporated into his body? What do you think that means for those who are members of his body, part of his new humanity? He's the son of man. He's our representative. What do you think it means for those who are following his pattern? That this love, this Calvary love, is the most glorious love? Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. So this is the impossible command. I've loved you because I glorify my Father. You love each other because you glorify the Father. I've suffered all humiliation and pain in order to serve you. You'd be ready to do the same for each other. I gave up my very life for you. You be willing to do that. Go and do likewise. It's the impossible command. First <clears throat> John 3.16 says that by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. It's such an impossible command that Peter can't even hear it. Peter can't even hear it. He interrupts Jesus. He said, wait, Lord, back up a second. You said you're going somewhere. What are you talking about? Peter isn't tracking with Jesus. He's still working with his old paradigm. Jesus is supposed to lead us all to glorious victory, to overthrow the Roman Empire, and lead us into Israelite sovereignty. But Jesus has never talked about glory or victory in those terms. Jesus knows Peter can't understand him. Jesus knows Peter won't understand him. Until later, until the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus knows what Peter really needs. Peter really needs to be made new, to be refashioned in the likeness of the Son of Man, to be incorporated into the brand new humanity with Jesus at its head. That's what Peter needs. Peter needs to live and die for the glory of God. Peter needs to love and lay down his life for the brothers just like Jesus is willing to do. That's what Peter needs. And that's only going to be possible for him after the Son of Man has done so. After Jesus has done so. Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. A bit of a modification of what he said earlier. Right? I'm going to the glory that comes through suffering love, through Calvary love, through self-gift, through death, through the cross. <clears throat> and after my unique death, <clears throat> the way will be opened for you to be able to follow. You will be made new. You will be made like me. You will be able to love and give yourself and even to die and then to enter into my own glory and be with me where I am. That'll be possible after I go first. <clears throat> Again, Peter's a bit slow on the take. Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. 
Sorry, it's hard to say that without laughing. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He has no clue what he's saying. We would like to think that Peter is well-intentioned, but really he's just proud and wrong. And he thinks he has something to offer to Jesus. He likes to think of himself more like Jesus' loyal, steadfast, faithful companion than uh, someone that Jesus needs to forgive and save from himself. But really, really he's empty, and he doesn't love like Jesus loves. No one does. No one can. Not in and of themselves. So Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you've denied me three times. This is a hard word. Jesus breaks the hard news to Peter, especially difficult in light of how Jesus has just been talking about betrayal. You remember what we considered last week, the scene of uh, Jesus predicting the betrayal of Judas. But Peter hasn't yet understood that Jesus was talking about Judas, betraying him. So what do you think it was like for Peter to hear, one of you is going to betray me. All right, Peter, this very night you will decisively deny me. Three times. Decisively. With finality. That's what kind of person Peter is. That's not what he wants to believe about himself. But it's not loyal. It's not loving. That's the old version of humanity. And left to ourselves, we're all like that. And Peter learned it. Peter learned it the hard way by going through it. What what Jesus said came true. And we're all like that. We're all like like old Abraham when he and Sarah went down to Egypt and he said, I know you're a woman beautiful in appearance and when the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, this is his wife, let's kill him, get him out of the way so that we can take her. So instead of me dying, why don't you just go into Pharaoh's harem? That'll, That'll solve my problem. And in case you think he's the kind of person who learned his lesson, um, he did exactly the same thing again in Genesis 20 with Abimelech. Just different circumstances, but exactly the same thing. Instead of me dying for you, how about you take this one for me? That's what we're like. Self-preservation is all of our instinct. It's your life for mine. Your life for mine. That was the position that Judas took. That's who Judas was, and Jesus breaks it to Peter, that's who you are too. That's who Peter is in and of himself. Peter can't keep this new commandment to love like Jesus loves. Jesus knows it's an impossible commandment for Peter to to keep, and he commands it anyway, and he lays down his life for him anyway. Instead of being people who say, your life for mine, you suffer so that it'll go well for me. We, we need to become people who say, my life for yours. That's what Jesus is saying with this new commandment. My life for yours. But how can we when in and of ourselves we're just like Peter? Your life for mine. Even though he'll talk a good game. No, my life for yours, my life for yours. Well, it's when we cease to be just in and of ourselves. When we enter into this new humanity, the corporate body of the Son of Man, by entering into the crucified Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, the ascended Lord Jesus Christ, 
through faith in him, by resting in him, by entrusting ourselves to him. The New Testament makes a big deal about our being in Christ, being in him, which means that we step out of ourselves in some way. We step out of ourselves. We let our old humanity die, and we enter into a new life in Christ as we step into him through faith with all the possibilities now of true love. And that means just vicariously living in Christ and he living in us with his own Calvary love living in us. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, not that old me, not that old humanity, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Christ who loves and his love along with him. That's who lives in me now, vicariously. So, So when Jesus issues his new commandment to love like he loves, we may glorify God. And we may truly love each other through faith in him. Not perfectly, but faithfully as much as we can, little bit by bit. But that's only true because Jesus has come to save you from yourself. It's only true because of him, because you're in him. The only thing that distinguishes Peter from Judas is Jesus and the love of Jesus. And really, that's what makes this commandment new. When Jesus says it's a new commandment, maybe we're all scratching our heads like, well, it sounds like what the whole Bible's about, love one another, right? How is this new? What's new, new about this? Well, the idea of love's been around for a long time, and there are plenty of commands to love one another in the Old Testament long before Jesus came on the scene in the Gospels. The newness of this commandment, just as I have loved you, you're also to love one another, is in the just as I have loved you part. That's the newness. That's, that's the new reality that's been created through Jesus, through his love. The new part is that God has come into the world and he has loved you. And you can point to it historically. God took on human flesh. God bound himself to us forever for our good. He made us a part of his own identity so that he wouldn't be himself anymore apart from us. That's what he did in taking on our flesh, becoming a human being that'll last forever. He carried us into the divine life through his self-sacrifice at the cross. He has loved us. That hadn't happened before Jesus, not like that. That was a new thing. And it's a new world, it's a new reality since then. In Jesus, God has humbly treated you more significant than himself. Think about that, just say it again. In Jesus, God has treated you more significant than himself. God's life for yours. That's new. That new historical real love is the shape of true glory, and it's only when you know it and believe it that you can go and do likewise. Your life for each other. My life for you. It doesn't necessarily mean that you've got to die a torturous death in order to show love to one another. Um, You should be sober and ready for such a thing. 
But laying down your life for each other doesn't just mean at the end of it. It doesn't just mean dying. It means living. It really means living for each other, making your whole life a gift. Making your whole life a gift. That's what it's meant for. That's what Jesus gives you the power to do by living in you with his love. You, you can make your life, your whole life, a gift. Let me go back to that First John quote, First John 3.16, and see a little bit more context. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, well, it's not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That's, that's to say that the love of Christ, God's own love, the real definition of love that we know now because of Jesus and that we can live out because of Jesus, Calvary love, that can abide in us when we meet each other's needs, when we serve one another. It doesn't abide in us when we're not doing that. But that could be a real expression of this love when we, when we give our time and energy resources to one another in the church. When we show kindness to each other and forgive one another, it's getting a little more difficult, forgiving one another. When we are concerned and care for each other, when we consider each other more significant than ourselves and spend our lives and our resources accordingly, that's the love of Christ in us, his kind of love, the love that he has loved us with historically that is alive in us now through faith in Jesus. Sometimes we feel the pain of the sacrifice of that, more deeply than at other times. Sometimes that kind of love is more difficult. But the heart that is new in Christ is willing. Jesus said, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. This kind of love, Calvary love, my life for yours. And we can love that way because Jesus has loved, that, loved us that way to the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, your love means everything to us, and if it doesn't, it should. Your love that is clearly seen, the greatest display of your love, the, the fullest assurance of your love seen as you sent your son to the cross and he willingly went and laid down his life for us to reconcile us to you so that we could live with you forever, so that we could have love and joy and peace with you forever. This is love. He laid down his life for us. We pray that when we have a hard time believing your love for us, that you would fix our eyes on the cross of Christ, and really only there, so we can see the true shape of your love, the nature of your glory. We pray that as you do fix our eyes on Christ, that we would become more like him, that as we live in him through faith and he in us, and as he fills us with his spirit and, and lives in us with his love, that we would become more and more like him, able to love, to love you and to love one another as you've called us to do, to lay down our lives for the brothers and the sisters in the church. And we pray that as we do so, that uh, more and more the church becomes the kind of place where outsiders would look and um, maybe not be instantaneously converted <laughs> But they would look and they would be able to say that this is God's love. This is God's love at work here, that we do belong to you. We are your disciples because we love like you do. We, we hope that that would be true. We long for that to be true. 
uh, not just for our sakes, but uh, for the sake of those around us, so that they might come to know your love as well. We pray that this would all be true for us in Jesus' name. Amen.